Hi there and welcome back to the FFS podcast. Happy New Year first of all to those of you who are listening to this particular podcast episode. It is the second episode of the new year. Um and yeah, it's we kind of started off with a double feature for Sunday and the FFS podcast. But for those of you who have just joined us for this particular episode, uh welcome to the FFS podcast. Uh, I hope you're going to enjoy the football content that we have for you today and if you do then I'd recommend you go listen to our previous episodes as well or if you like something a little more reactionary a little more quick and fun then you can head on to our sister series called the MWF podcast uh but yeah we'll explain all of that in greater detail towards the end but for today's particular episode uh this was actually supposed to be the last ep- FFS episode of 2020 but again scheduling conflicts and all of that so we kind of pushed it to the first ep- for, okay second episode or first joint episode of 2021 and so for today's episode we're going to be talking about the biggest surprises of 2020 2021 season across the world around, or around the world uh, across the major leagues in world football and so on for this particular episode we've got four guests uh, so we've got Frankie who supports Bayer Leverkusen We got Radha who's going to talk about the Manchester United women's football team. We're going to talk to Siddharth who supports Arsenal and who's probably going through a very very tough period right now and Tane who supports AC Milan and who's surprisingly I'm I'm pretty sure pretty pretty surprised about where they are right now on the table. Um and so guys before we get to discussing each of your clubs in greater detail, uh we'll start off with introductions. So Let's start off with Frankie. Sure, mate. Uh, my name's Frankie Burton uh, on Twitter at Frankie Burton. Uh, I'm a Bayer Leverkusen fan based in Manchester. Uh, got into the club about ten years ago through working in Germany and travelling around different grounds. Um, and then the last sort of few years, I've, I've become a, a real hardened fan. I go to about twelve matches a season normally um, in a normal year when there's no COVID. Uh, and obviously, this season it's been a bit different, but. Uh yeah, big fan love love German football and love the culture and everything about the the match day experience. Awesome. And so if because you'd gone to Germany for work that you came to know about Bayer Leverkusen and grew in love with the club? Yeah, so I, I did a few games. So I went to went to watch St Pauli, went to Bremen, Schalke, Mönchengladbach and Leverkusen and there's something about the club that I found really friendly. Everyone was very accommodating and they really really kind of wanted to look after you and they were very appreciative to have you know fans from the UK um and there was quite a while where I thought I was the only fan in the UK but we've now actually set up a UK fan club uh, a mate of mine called Alistair Venables who is based in Nantwich in Cheshire uh, we met about 5 years ago now um he's really driven with setting up this fan club um, we've got about 100 members i think now so we, we i think for a while we all thought we were the only fans in the UK that actually supported Leverkusen but it turns out there's a few more but i think it's generally a love for for German football and the You know, the atmosphere, the, the match day experience is very different to what it is in the UK. So I think that's what most people fall for. Yeah. But there's a friendliness about Leverkusen which struck home with a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think the the culture of German football is so different to English football. And the way that you mentioned that they were glad to have a fan from the UK support their team, that's unlike when you hear, at least of late, from the English clubs, a lot of them kind of say you aren't a supporter if you don't live in that particular city. Yeah, there's there's quite a lot of that in English football. I think it's sort of frowned upon when people bring cameras to the match and you get a lot of tourists going. But um, I think you know Leverkusen as a club, they're they're very 
hospitable to to foreign members. Um, I remember going to a match at Wolfsburg a few years back, and they sent my ticket to the ground because I, I bought it quite quite late, so they couldn't post it in time. And they sent the ticket to to the ground in a, a little van and sent a scarf along with it just as a thank you, which you wow. never get in the, the English club. Just a, a little gesture, but it, it meant a lot, and it just shows you that they do little. Yeah. T- they 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 do appreciate you, and they you know you're not just a number to them. Yeah, I mean that it's quite a rare thing, and one one of the things that I really appreciate about German football is that entire culture of. Uh, but anyway, we move on to Radha. So Radha, would you like to tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, hi. Firstly, thank you for having me on again. Uh, my name is Radha, and as you guys probably could now guess from the episode, I do watch a lot of women's football. I I follow the WSL extensively, and um, when people ask me what my favorite club is, it's really hard to say. I do not. um i cannot say that my favorite club is manchester united but i do say that i i really watch all the teams all the players and i have a soft spot for chelsea but um i'm going to be talking about the manchester united women's football team they've been ex- exceptional this um sort of half season that's gone through so yeah excited to talk about them awesome and i'm glad to have you back on the podcast rather uh, i think the previous episode itself was quite an interesting one and yeah i hope this one is as well next we move on to siddarth who's as i think i mentioned earlier on is new to the podcast so siddarth would you like to give our guest a brief introduction uh hey there thanks for having me and a uh, happy new year to everyone on the call and to everyone listening and yes like i said i am an arsenal supporter yes i did make that choice willingly 5 years ago and i did choose pain i did choose pain yeah <laughs> yeah no for a gunty ahead and said yeah choose also uh was oh that a pun God. was that an arsenal pun that was a good yeah. pun oh man. i actually didn't i actually didn't think about it but yeah not bad yeah uh this is one of those annoying puns that came about uh but yeah five years that definitely not the best time to have chosen to be to have gotten into supporting arsenal the last exactly, five years yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome but uh and yeah i can't wait to hear your thoughts on what's happened to arsenal this particular season uh and lastly we've got tane uh tane would you like to tell us a bit about yourself yes hi pradyum uh, i'm tane i'm based in delhi and i've been supporting ac milan since uh, the late 1990s and uh, it seems to be a pretty good time to be an ac milan fan again so excited to be here thank you for having me awesome yeah i mean it's definitely i think when uh so okay uh, interestingly uh, interestingly enough uh it was siddarth who actually came up with this podcast idea uh, siddarth and someone else who's not on this particular podcast uh, and i'll give a shout out to so alankrit if you're listening to this yeah uh, shout out to you as well so i had actually asked for podcast topics uh before the end of 2020 and these were the two uh, two guests who had come up with this particular podcast topic and i thought it very interesting when siddarth actually brought it up the first two teams that came into mind were arsenal and ac milan because i think they've had such contrasting starts to the season um and then of course came manchester united women's football team and by leverkusen who've also had two varying degrees a uh, quite a surprising season so far so far uh so let's start off by talking to Frankie let's start off by talking about Bayer Leverkusen. Uh you know a year okay this summer when Leverkusen unfortunately sold Kai Havertz to Chelsea there was a lot of talks as to whether Bayer Leverkusen would finally I mean it, they weren't competing for the title I mean there's the famous term Neverkusen because it <laughs> you could never get that uh get that top spot but they they felt that with Kai Havertz who's 
you know termed a generational talent for a long time uh, he he'd left for greener pastures in chelsea people thought that now it would be even more difficult for leverkusen to achieve that status that they're looking for however of late at least two weeks ago if we had done this they were sitting atop of the bundesliga table and i just wanted to know from you why it is that it is one of the surprises of the season you know what has uh, the coach has done the players done that has led to this sort of yeah okay the revival let's let's call it that yeah no i think um like you say obviously havertz going was a big blow but i think the club knew it was coming um but not only that as well we lost kevin folland who was one of our one of our top players and probably the top goal scorer for the last few seasons um so the two of them being lost out of the attack was a was a big negative um so they, i mean they were fairly active in the transfer market but not as active as a lot of fans hoped for uh, so we signed Patrick Schick, who was on loan at Leipzig last season. Uh, so he came in for twenty something million. Um, we had a, a youngster we we got from Cologne uh, last year, Florian Wirtz, who was sixteen at the time, um, and he's he's come into the team this season. He's, he's seventeen now. He's been sensational. Um, he he's almost like a seamless trans- transition from Havertz. Uh, he's a slightly different type of player, but, but still very clever, sort of creative guy. Can play. Pretty much anywhere from the midfield up front, he's he's quite adaptable at positions. So he's been a big plus. Um, we've had a bit of bad luck as well this season with injuries. We've had a lot of players out. Um, Charles Arangis was the captain this season, but he's he's barely played since the start of the season through injury. Uh, we signed a, a right back from Atletico Madrid, uh, Arias. He was injured on international duty and has not played a game for us yet. So. Uh, and a couple of other long-term injuries as well in the midfield area. So, you know, against all the odds, we've actually had a really good season so far. Yeah, no, I think it's surprised a lot of people. Uh, I've got a lot of friends in Germany and nobody expected a successful season. Nobody expected to be top of the league uh, just before Christmas. And we were unlucky to, to lose in the last minute against Bayern Munich, uh, which cost us the top spot for Christmas. But I think after yesterday's defeat as well, I think expectations are sort of coming back in line with where we thought we'd be, which... Is probably for me top six, top seven. But having had such a good start, I think it'd now be be pretty disappointing if we didn't make top four. Um, yesterday was a prime example. We had quite a few injuries again against Frankfurt. We we went out there with a back four that on paper nobody would would expect us to win a game with. Really, you know, we had a dodgy right back playing at left back, um, centre half playing at right back, two young centre halves. It's it, it wasn't ideal, uh, and I think that's the the focus for potentially for January, potentially for the summer to strengthen that defence. Um, but yeah, like you say, without Havertz and Volland, it was a surprise that we we do quite well in attack and I think players have stepped up and improved. Uh, Lucas Alario played probably uh, about half the season when, when Schick was injured and Alario scored quite a few goals. Um, I think he's nearly at 10 goals already. So he's been good. Uh, back to form of, of Leon Bailey. He's been, he's been excellent. He's been probably our best player this season so far um, and back to the form that he showed three or four years ago when he looked like he was going to be the next big thing and then his form sort of tailed off for a while and he didn't really hit those heights but this season he's become really good and he's, he's back scoring goals again so they've, they've actually padded the squad out reasonably well I think we've got despite the injuries we, we've got players to come in and do a job and the, there's quite a lot of young players so they, they have improved and I think now Peter Bosch, the coach, has been there a couple of years. He's, you can see the improvement in certain players. Uh, Nadim Amir is another one who, again, this season, he's really stepped up and he's looked a really good player. Um, he's 
sort of forced his way into the German squad now as well. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been a really positive story despite injuries and loss of players, and uh, you know, long may it continue. Yeah, exactly. I mean, from a tactics perspective, has there has Peter changed anything in terms of because the two ma- I've watched two matches of yesterday's match or today's match or whatever, and the the match against Frankfurt and the match against Bayern, Munich, and I think Leverkusen has been such a such a easy team to watch in the sense that it's it's been fun because they've been quite uh, like going forward they've been quite uh, attacking and very very strong mm. whereas defensively there have been certain moments especially you mentioned the Bayern game and both goals that Bayern scored were kind of made easy for them because of defensive lapses in concentration uh, but overall have you seen any changes that because of the loss of Holland and Kai Havertz, that Peter Bosz has had to had to kind of resort to this particular season, and and it has worked. I think he, you can see his style of play has, has changed the club the last couple of years, and, and it, it's still progressing. We're a lot more possession based now. Um, I think before that, with with previous managers, we we were always strong going forward, and we, we were always a bit suspect at the back. I think to, to some extent that continued with Boss, but this season the defense has been a lot stronger. Um, they signed Edmund Tapsaba last year from uh, from Portugal, from the Portuguese league. Um, he's a, he's a young guy, but he's come in and he's looked brilliant. He's really steadied that defence alongside Sven Bender. I think the experience of Sven, alongside the youth of Tapsaba, who's really quick and mobile and strong, it's been really good. Um, we signed Daly Sinkraven from Ajax uh, last season. He's he's done really well at left back. Uh, the right back spot's been been a bit troublesome for us. Lars Bender's constantly injured uh, unfortunately both him and Sven are going to retire at the end of the season um, yeah. Bender's a he's a legend of the club he's been there 11 years I think um, an absolute stalwart and he, he's been there ever since I, I got into watching Leverkusen so I've never known anything you know without Lars Bender being there but this season we've had to cover a lot obviously they signed this Arias to, to play at right back but he's not played a game through injury so it's been a bit of a filling job for, for people like Mitchell Feist to or Dragovic to come in and do that job and it's, they've generally done pretty well I think you like I said there's a lot of young players in the squad and they're all improving and they're all coming together but that back four was probably too young and too inexperienced and didn't complement each other whether we're lacking that experience uh, but still you know even in yesterday's game we they played some good football I don't think they were quite on it but um, one of the things that they've done better this season is when, when they've not played well they've actually kept goals out um, I mean, we played Berlin at home a few weeks back and we, we didn't play well at all but we kept a clean sheet and got, got a point which at the time was disappointing but you know you look back on those games and probably the last season we, we'd have lost that um, so they, they've definitely sharpened up at the back as a team and I think that the protection from midfield has been better uh, Baumgartling has come in this season and done a really good job and he was captain yesterday uh, and he's mainly in through Arangis's injury so He's been excellent. He's been sort of protection in front of the defence and they've actually defended better as a team. And that, that starts at, you know, with the striker. They're all defending as a team. But they're still exciting to watch going forward. I think that's what a lot of people around the world appreciate watching Leverkusen. Is it, it's generally never dull. Uh, they're quite attacking in their, in their ethos. You know, they commit a lot of men forward. I think yesterday in the last 20 minutes, I, I was struggling to sort of figure out what formation they were trying to play. It took a a left back off and put a striker on and it was basically just you know let's try and score a goal 
we're, we're really unlucky not to do that. Um, but yeah, no, they're they're always good, always good to watch. I think Boss's style is is attacking, is possession based, and but you know it's not just all about possession for him. It's about quick, quick movement of players, quick movement of the ball. Um, and he's you know he's a very creative coach, and he's he's done a great job for us so far. Yeah. Uh, the other question that I did have for you, Frankie, is that you did mention that this is going this season, especially I think in for most of the teams in across major all of the major leagues they have had some injury crisis or the other at some point of time uh, given either it be whether the players have gotten injured on international duty or during training or even if even due to covid they've been out of games so uh i think you also mentioned that you were expecting leverkusen to kind of come to be in the top 6 at least this season but you'd be slightly disappointed given how this how good the start has been that if they were to drop off to that level uh it would be slightly disappointing for all the fans um, yes. but uh okay so so what i'm trying to say is that, uh bundesliga with bayern munich also suffering certain injuries they had alfonso davies out they had kimichard and they will suffer probably some more injuries down the line given that they're going to play a lot of games in in the champions league and you know uh, the pokal and all of that do you think this is the situation is ripe for leverkusen to kind of take over bayern munich uh, do you do you see that in the near in the upcoming months that bayern uh, that bayer leverkusen can actually compete with bayern munich for the title given that bayern might be slightly preoccupied with other competitions yeah i think uh, to be fair i think if we weren't in europe as well i think we'd have a chance but um Leverkusen have had probably as many games as anybody playing in the Europa League and we've you know we won our group in that as well so i, I think there was an opportunity there this season for a team that wasn't in Europe uh, to potentially crash the party a little bit and get near the top but it, it's actually worked out strangely that in most leagues in Europe the teams that have been in the Europa League have done quite well in the domestic league so uh, honest i don't you know i don't think we've got a chance of winning the league i don't think we're, we're strong enough and i think Bayern despite injuries and despite a lot of games that they'll, they'll, they'll still win the league comfortably for me this season I think that probably the only main challenge really this season is Leipzig I think Dortmund have already uh, lost enough ground with their struggles this season they've obviously got rid of Lucien Favre the coach um, mm-hmm. yeah and I think if, if we can get top four I'll be really happy with that we, we've we've got a better squad now than we've had in the past uh, we've not got a reliance on one player it's if somebody does get injured you know there's other players that can come in and do a job so i think you see you know people like Erling Haaland at Dortmund there's, there's a big emphasis on him they haven't really got another option as a as a center forward if he's not around um and that's that's troubled them but like you say every every club's had injuries i think we've been a bit unlucky with with a couple of serious long term ones which were 6 months plus um, which you know have not helped but it's those little week to week injuries that we're struggling with at the moment but I think we've got a big enough squad to cope with it and I think we can we can make a run and I think we've got a good opportunity to win something this season. Again, I'm not quite good enough to win the Europa League. We just tend to throw it in the odd poor performance amongst a lot of good stuff. But when you've got teams dropping out of the Champions League like, you know, Manchester United and top sides around Europe that, that fall into that Europa League, it'll be tough. Mm-hmm. But we we play Frankfurt again next week in the in the German Cup. So I'm hopeful, you know, if we can get through that at home it's a potential for for a good cup run like we had last season and um, and hopefully we're just trying to avoid buying and hope buying get knocked out by somebody else <laughs> yeah 
definitely. Uh, but uh, all right. So Frankie, I guess that's about it for Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, so Tane, how's it been? You know, for you as a as an AC Milan fan, seeing your club do so well after actually you know falling off a cliff over the past decade or so. Right, Pradyum. Before I answer your question, can I just say that it's very refreshing that uh, uh, fans of a Serie A club. Uh, are represented on an Indian football podcast. It's extremely rare uh, because mostly you see fans of uh, Premier League clubs or uh, La Liga clubs at most. Uh, perhaps you'll you'll get a smattering of Juve fans after the Ronaldo move, but mm-hmm. Serie A fans are um, rel- a relatively rare, rarer species. So, uh, so again, thank you for having me here. And uh, again, just a plug on Serie A. A lot of people. Uh, have grown up with the notion that Serie A is defensive, it's uh, it's relatively boring. None of that is true in 2020-21. And you should give it a try if you haven't watched uh, a lot of Italian football over the last few years. Uh, but again, just to get back to your question, Pradyum, uh, it's a fantastic time. Uh, it's a pleasantly surprising time because... Uh, when I was growing up as a Milan fan, uh, AC Milan have always been football royalty. So if you look at the number of Champions League titles, uh, after Real Madrid, the maximum number of titles have been won by Milan. Uh, so over the past eight years or so, it's, uh, it's been a downfall for us. And uh, coinciding with uh, Silvio Berlusconi, the former owner of the club, uh, again, going through certain financial difficulties, uh, scandals, uh, changes of ownership thereafter. So all of that combined to ensure that we couldn't compete in uh, at the top of European football, which I as a fan and many like me uh, have always been used to uh, seeing Milan in. So it's a pleasant surprise. Uh, again, a lot of people are still pegging us as uh, Scudetto contenders. Uh, Again, it it makes me very happy to hear that. But as a fan, uh, still, I would say that we are not completely exhilarated at the moment. uh, There's more of cautious optimism. We want to secure uh, Champions League status first because it's been six years since we played in what I consider to be a natural habitat. And uh, if we get the Scudetto, then even better. Yeah, I think when you mentioned the word football royalty, my memory, or actually my mind just went straight into that particular quote by, I think, your president or someone who said that uh, when they were talking about the Champions League, or or he proposed to UEFA that there should be, uh, that teams that have this, you know, history of making it to the competition or who have our history of winning that particular competition should have an automatic entry into that, dis, uh, irrespective of where they, what position they are on the table. So that that's the first thing that went into my mind, and that was true, right? I'm not making that up. Or it wasn't a fever dream. So uh, I don't specifically recall uh, the club management advocating that, but uh, again, at the same time, it would play into the hands of a club like Milan, right? So. Uh, I mean, there are there are very few clubs which have the history uh, that Milan have in the Champions League. So, uh, so if we do end up seeing that sort of an overhaul in the uh, qualification system for the Champions League, 
then of course it will benefit a club like us so i wouldn't be surprised if uh, milan were pushing for something like that but at the same time i personally don't recall uh, the club management having publicly expressed anything of that sort fair enough i mean you do get these quotes that you know pop up from somewhere or the other on the internet and you really don't know how true or how you know reliable they are i i seem to sure. recall it but i don't again like like you also said sure. my memory isn't the best on these stuff so but anyway and, and also pradyum yeah. because see that state uh, the state of the champions league itself is in a flux with talk of uh, an european super league and what not so yeah. i think you will see more and more quotes which are um, i don't know i mean it it may seem out of the blue and maybe very different from what the current structure is like so let's see how the world is maybe 3 or 4 years from now oh yeah definitely i mean that european super league just is or threatens to be a spanner in the works but uh, let's let's talk about the present because again like i said i want to start off on a positive note and what has brought about this change to ac milan because i think even last year fine there were certain glimpses that you know milan milan la 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 but milan could come back to form but this year it just seems to have blown everyone out of the water like it, no one seemed to have expected this kind of renaissance of uh, milan so what do you think has brought about this change so a lot of things uh, pradyum but in one word i would say continuity uh, that's something we did not have if you look at uh, milan's record over the last uh, again let's say 6 to 8 years you'll see that we've been changing our managers very frequently uh after uh max allegri um who gained his fame at milan uh we we essentially moved to club legends so legends like inzaghi like sedov uh like gattuso who uh, who managed us and uh, with mixed results at best uh, we tried a few managers uh, let's say mid level managers uh before this but we did not have the kind of continuity that we see now so if you look at uh, what happened post covid uh, milan have been unbeaten so even if you look at the latter half of the previous season uh, milan have been unbeaten and uh, in serie a uh, i think it was only atalanta that had more points that than milan uh, in the second half of the season Uh, so the renaissance began last season itself and the management did very well to uh, to not change too much and trust uh, stefano pioli who again uh, was thought to be even by milan fans thought to be uh, just a stopgap manager a mid level manager nothing more than that so he seems to have brought in new life uh, al- along with uh our signings in january so i mean i i think all of us know about zlatan ibrahimovic he's the uh he's the most publicized uh name the well publicized name that joined us uh in 2020 but along with him i think we also um got a couple of unsung heroes that we signed in january one of them is uh, simon kaier who uh who, who again is a 31 year old central defender uh sort of a journeyman and uh, we signed an unknown belgian named uh, alexis salemakers so uh, so these are players who are not household names especially to indian fans but they have made a big difference along with um, 
the continuity the club have uh, bestowed uh, purely with. Uh, and on top of that, Pradyum, I would also say that since uh, the current owners assumed charge, which was back in 2018, two years ago, and uh, they overhauled the management, uh, they brought in Paolo Maldini uh, as the technical director. And uh, again, the backroom, the, the strength of the club has improved quite a lot. And with that, we are seeing a lot of uh, well thought technical decisions, uh, good buys, uh, trimming of wages uh, at the club. A lot of different things have fallen into place and a strong club has led to a stronger squad. So uh, that's my long-winded answer to your question, Pradeep. Perfect. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, sure, continuity, we've seen that, you know, it, it's key with most championship-winning sides that trust in the board, uh, in the manager, the continuity with players, the recruitment. I mean, they're all pieces of a jigsaw puzzle that need to be put into place before you can actually win titles. And that that seems to be the case at Milan. Uh, but, I mean, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, I think many of us thought that he was done once he moved to the MLS, that, okay, maybe that was his retirement uh, phase. And so, you know, we wouldn't see that. But... This guy just seems to prove that whichever club he goes, whichever league he goes to, there are goals in him. I mean, sure, he may not play 90 minutes every match, but whenever he's on the pitch, he is a threat. Oh, absolutely. In fact, um, his agent, Mino Raiola, uh, he said recently that taking him to the MLS was a mistake in hindsight. Um, so I think after that um, that ACL injury at when he was at Manchester United, um, yeah. Everyone thought that his career at the topmost level in European football is over. And there's no way he can re- recover from an injury like that at uh, the age of, uh, I think he was 36 at the time. Uh, but what can I say? He's proven all of us wrong. And um, if you look at his performances, you'll see. That, I mean, of course, he isn't as fast as he, wa- as he was in the past uh, there are a lot of things that he would have done better um, in his prime. But he also plays much more intelligently uh, now. And I think what's driving him more than his uh, position on the pitch or anything to do with uh, the football uh, role itself is the role that he's been given in the locker room. He's, he's the unofficial captain of the team, uh, of what is now the youngest squad uh, in Serie A and in and one of the youngest squads in uh, the top five leagues in Europe, so I think he's enjoyed that responsibility. He's uh, he's always been very open about the fact that at this age, what drives him are challenges, and he sees this as a uh, as a massive challenge. And uh, getting Milan back to the top is, I mean, challenges don't come much more exciting than that. I would assume. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, just a last word on, I mean, did, I, I don't know how much uh, of an ad, or how much of an impact this makes, but the likes of Juventus, uh, Napoli and all, they seem to have, I wouldn't say, like, I, they seem to have fallen off slightly. And so how much does that fall, or even Atlanta for, Atlanta for that matter, but how much does that fall also contribute to how... Uh, 
you know not not impressive but how close this battle is for the title between you know AC Milan Inter Milan and also given that you are now going to be playing in the Europa League till until the next round at least uh you know how do how do you foresee the near upcoming months it, and you know do you think there is a particular period where you think the title could be decided so um again i would be um a bit cautious about writing the likes of juve or napoli for that matter of uh, just yet because if you look at the strength of uh, the squads in serie a um juve and inter have the deepest squads by far and uh, the only way milan can challenge for the title is if uh, uh, they strengthen uh, in in the january window so let's see if that happens but um, see with juve they are in sort of a flux because they changed manager last year they went with uh, maurizio sarri which uh, again chelsea fans would know him uh, decently well uh, but his philosophy is very different to what the juve uh, defense first or or rather a solid def- defense uh, philosophy has been for years so from that they transition to someone like andrea pirlo who's an unknown as a coach uh, as a manager he hasn't managed any team at any level until now so uh, they are a question mark although they seem to be gelling now so so let's see uh, what we can make of that uh yes definitely it's an advantage uh for milan to have a juve which is currently still struggling to find its identity uh for the second season in a row uh inter uh, i personally believe are best equipped for the scudetto uh, they have a, a second year with conte uh, presumably the players understand his uh tactical instructions better they have a very deep squad and um, i would i see them as the favorites this year not milan and uh, after the start with pillo not juve either um but again i if you look at the statistics milan were unbeaten away for the entire year they didn't lose away in 2020 at all uh, if you look at the record post covid uh, we only lost once uh, at home in the europa league and uh, we have not lost in the league at all so i think somewhere we need to give credit to milan independent of how the other teams are doing as well uh, so we uh, what changed this year is that we have started beating the uh, the direct rivals the top teams like juve uh, inter roma lazio napoli we've beaten uh, these direct rivals now which is something that wasn't happening in the last Uh, again 6 to 8 years so uh, so a lot of credit credit to the management to purely uh, to the players who've upped their game uh, some in particular like uh, hakan uh, chanaloglu uh, like frank kessi and um, a lot of them um, so i i think we deserve a lot of credit independent of how the others are doing but but time will tell i think whether we win the league or not is a function of whether the other teams are able to uh, pick themselves up again teams like juve or uh, napoli who are not doing as well as we expect them to um, but still i i don't peg milan as uh, scudetto favorites uh, as far as the europa league is concerned again uh, the squad's stated goal uh, is to go as far as possible now let's see i'm 
I don't think anyone looks at the Europa League as a primary objective. I think the primary objective is to secure Champions League status top four first and foremost. So depending on how deep we go, uh, how soon we are able to secure that status, I think that will dictate how much emphasis we place on the Europa League. So again, uh, can't really say how, how far we go. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say, I mean, I know you said not... I don't think many teams look at the Europa League as a priority. Uh, but I think one person on this particular podcast, his club would definitely look at the Europa League as a priority. Uh, uh, but yeah. You think that. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, yeah, but thanks, Tane. But for you your... want to. I mean. Yeah. No. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, look, I was just saying that even uh, Man United uh, a couple of years ago, or maybe three years ago, uh, they got into the Champions League by winning the Europa League. Uh, that right? was the Jose year, wasn't it? That was Jose's yeah. like three trophy yes. year. At yeah. Yeah. yeah, when they beat Ajax, if uh, if I remember yeah, yeah, correctly, yeah, yeah. in the yeah. final. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not a bad way at all. I mean, it's I mean, you can call it a backdoor entry into the Champions League. I mean, uh, it may be a snide remark. Listen, but, man. I mean, listen, man. At this point, how you getting? At this point. <laughs> At this point, if we get to the Champions League, it it will seem like us winning a treble three years in a row. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, awesome. All right, but let now talking about Manchester United. I just want to now move on to rather uh, talking about Manchester United, but now shifting, you know, to the women's team. Uh, what? Why is it that we're talking about the Manchester United women's team as a surprise for this particular year? Yeah, that's a great question, and uh, I think Tanay was Thank talking you. about how. Um, <laughs> the Italian league is not covered too much. I think, um, you know, it's it's really great that you're talking about women's football because that's covered like even um, just way lesser. And um, yeah, you, you know, you're really right when you say that it was a surprise and it's simply because like everyone knows or the people who follow it know that Manchester United women's team didn't exist until like three, four years ago. And this is only their second year in the top flight of the English uh, WSL, right? And um, you had new signings coming into Man City, into Chelsea, you know, the record transfer fee, Panilla Harder. And we always expected like the top three to be City, Arsenal, Chelsea in whatever order that may be. But we see United sitting at the top of the table comfortably. They've beaten um, Man City, they've beaten Arsenal and they've tied with Chelsea. So really the, the fact that they're on top of the table with um, great signings and players that were not doing too well but suddenly have come up the ranks and made a really solid unit. I think that was the big surprise package that no one really expected and I'm personally very happy about it because an upset always means there's more conversation. I mean, the reason like we're recording this is because they've done something that they weren't expected to do. So yeah, that that was really cool to see. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and so, but why do you think that is? As in like, what do you think has... Uh, help them achieve the status and beating the likes of Man City and Arsenal and, and, and I'm guessing they're going to play Chelsea on the 17th of this month as well and but beating those two are are great achievements because City and Arsenal we know are really top dogs in the W I can say top dogs yeah yeah top dogs in the WSL so uh what's what's brought about this you know or why are we talking about this yeah, so that's a, another great question. I think the first thing I would say is the new signings that have come in. So Tobin Heath and Kristen Press are two very renowned names um, in American football or American mm-hmm. soccer or whatever. And um, they're obviously World Cup winners. And the fact that they yeah. signed with United and they flew over, they they spent their time in quarantine and they've come and they've made a 
a sudden instant impact because um you you can really see it when uh, you are the world cup champion you you are the best you expect to be treated like the best and they brought the best to this team and suddenly the this team has been picked up from being a division 2 team to a team that comes back from 2-0 to make it to all in a derby or you know um just being absolutely ruthless and not giving up till the last moment so i think the signings were really impactful and I think the second reason would be their leadership i think casey stony is a very headstrong uh, independent really sort of smart woman when it comes to leadership she's obviously been on as the player um, you know just i think until 2016 or 17 so um, i think the leadership comes and and the fact that a player is now a coach they bring in like a, a mentality that only the players know about and she knows how bargaining agree- agreements go what kind of signings to bring in she knows the players that are in the opponent's team you know inside out so i think the signings and the leadership team is really what's sort of brought them to this stage and while i am surprised i'm also not surprised because um with that kind of quality um in the leadership and in the player playing team you know this is bound to happen yeah i mean it, it's slightly frustrating because the team that I mean, not the women's team that i support but the men's team that i support their women's team so liverpool i support liverpool so the liverpool women's team you know at one point of time they they were competing for the title i remember i think it was in 2013 or so but then i i i, I mean it, it's frustrating because you see the likes of manchester united you know we often criticize the their men's team for looking or prioritizing business over football but here you know it's somewhat the opposite they've actually taken a lot of care to to build up the women's team and to get them to this kind of position where for us for a club that's actually we we kind of com- commend what they're doing for the men's team what they're doing for the women's team is is totally terrible it's horrible we've actually now got got relegated to the division 2 uh yeah. to the second division so i mean it, it's nice in a way if for a neutral person for a neutral fan yeah i'm sure if i didn't have my liverpool biases yeah i mm-hmm. mean it, it's a, it's a really cool story and not really nice to hear about uh but yeah it's equally you know frustrating for me but yeah no okay. you're, you're absolutely right yeah, yeah if i can, yeah. Uh, yeah i'm sorry so i just wanted to correct myself i didn't beat man city but they drew to man city they came back from 2-0 to all so i wanted to say that and about the liverpool thing you know you're absolutely right it's it's it it really warms my heart to see investment uh, going into the women's team and eventually like people will realize that once you invest into the women's team it's more than football it becomes business because you see that tobin heath and kristen press have sold out their jerseys um, much more than the men sold out in whatever period that they measured it in so you really see that investment becomes business you get returns you get a lot of viewership i think these americans have brought like like a, just a lot more viewership to the league to the teams in terms of following in terms of merchandise sales and other things so really you know any club um, has to just put that in because there is proof that returns do come and it was really I, i truly you know it broke my heart to see the liverpool women relegated because they couldn't play enough games because their pitches were waterlogged and just uh, just poor playing conditions so yeah that was pretty sad to see but it's very clear it's very evident now that you put money in you're going to get money back yeah which is which is again very uh, yeah frustrating in a way i mean sure we had the a couple of matches that they the women's team played at anfield that i mean that's a that's a start but i guess i mean there, there are a lot of things that were still wrong i remember the pre-season and all of that but okay going into manchester united uh, you were talking about investments and there are a couple of points so the first point is 
the women's team actually was disbanded you know many years ago because of this particular reason you said that you know it, from football it becomes business but when the uh, glazers took over manchester united they they did, they did that they did just that for business purposes they disbanded the women's team because they found it to be unprofitable and all of that uh and so yeah i, I think it's sort of like lessons learned for them because uh, they're now kind of seeing how uh, their investments being or how yeah is now being a little more profitable and how they're reaping the rewards of that investment yeah exactly and the men so i think anyone who is sort of understanding or sort of figuring out the situation has to understand that the men's side of football whichever club it be has a massive head start you know when it comes to being invested in or even existing so you can't expect a manchester united men's team that has existed for god knows how long to um or for a women's team who's just come up like 2 years ago to suddenly be giving the same amount of profits as a team that's been invested in for 50 plus years or whatever right so it's important to not suddenly compare the both like both the teams when you haven't even put in enough money on both teams or equal money so it's a bit um, that's you know that's i guess the problem with it that one sort of franchise will say hey this team is giving us more so we'll put more into this but it's sort of that cycle that you have to break because if you don't put in money you won't get it back so it's about investing first and then then getting your rewards you can't get immediate profits otherwise that's not really an investment is it right and that's exactly i think the conversation we had even in the last episode right that whole cycle of when and where and okay the other point that i wanted to bring up is i i don't know when this i think it was a few months ago that megan rapino herself had tweeted and i think she was irate about the fact that you know manchester united just now coming up with a women's team you know, and and she got yeah i mean sure she from the women's side perspective she got a lot of applauds for coming out and you know actually tweeting her opinions and all that but obviously people also said that uh she got criticism for you know probably people said that or at least from the men said they said that she was whining she, uh you know they said that the investment or rather the women's game wasn't profitable at that point of time they didn't uh you know it didn't make sense to put in investments at that point of time and so when the time was right they have done it right now and so yeah that that, that was kind of the the argument made at that point of time whether so it again comes boils down to what you've been saying right so it 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 comes down to where and when you need to put in your investments so i i i do understand why people were hesitant at first and why they were hesitant but i guess this kind of proves the opposite yeah and the, and the, you just mentioned it right she she kind of spoke out about it and then there was conversation that was started and people were like hey why aren't manchester united doing this and then they had to respond and they had to suddenly come up with some idea and they decided hey you know what let me so it just um it puts a pressure it puts conversation and people are talking about it so i mean obviously when when megan rupino says anything there'll be two sides to every sort of debate when it comes to any player or athlete yeah. speaking out about yeah. something but um i think that no, especially um, her. even if you even if it's bad publicity yeah exactly especially her but the fact that people are talking about it means that people know about what's going on they'd be like hey she's she's just talking like nonsense but they know what she's talking about right and you i mean i could argue that that actually played a small or like a minuscule part in united signing of the americans getting more money more facilities and now look where united are sure i mean it it makes sense because you see i mean what america has done for, for for the women's game in football and it, and 
sure i i get that it it definitely starts a conversation and i don't i don't think she's taking it personally all of these criticism that she's getting def- uh and so yeah I, yeah it, it can, <laughs> i hope so uh but it kind of does you know put into perspective the the importance of investing in women's team because uh and also recruitment is a key thing because sure you can have a women's team but as long as the recruitment is right and i i'm guessing and it makes sense because you're getting the best players to come in and play uh, i think first themselves had alex morgan come in it didn't work out eventually at the end but it was still a good good initiative to try and get that publicity in because that's going that's how it's going to start and that's how it's going to spread with publicity yeah absolutely and i just you just mentioned alex morgan and i read somewhere that she actually didn't contribute too much to the club when it comes to goals or minutes on the field but at the first month of her signing she didn't really come to training and she was in conversation with the the management and the coaching staff saying you know this training field that the women train on is not good enough it's not up to professional standards and we want to be shifted to like a, a either the where the men train or a better training ground with better facilities and they actually got the women team shifted to the better situation and although she's left the women are still training there so she's had this off the field impact you know behind the scenes that not a lot of many people know about but th- those are the kind of impacts that these high profile players are capable of having and that's why it's so important to get them on board to invest in them because you know now the spurs they i mean they got a new head coach and they've won the last two out of two games that she's been the head coach so really new like change comes when you put money into it when you get experienced players into your setup and Yeah I think that was one of the Alex Morgan's biggest contribution to Spurs. I I didn't know about that but again the other contribution is that people actually started watching Spurs uh the women's team at least or I mean Absolutely. because you get a big name like Alex Morgan coming in and you know if if 90% of the men don't watch women's football mm-hmm. they still know who Alex Morgan is. Right. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but they know who she is. Yeah, it's a start. Uh, I, yeah, it's a start and it gets them watching the matches with I mean wh- whenever they can and, and again that just gets the that gets the viewership up and it becomes like the cycle where viewerships up then you get more people involved then you invest more blah 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 so you get that entire cycle. Now, talking about the just the last bit for Manchester United, uh what is the future mm-hmm. now for the club in terms of uh, are they in a title race? still too early uh do you think the do you think city and arsenal and probably chelsea also given their experience at this top level could still make it through or yeah what what are your thoughts on that so are they in the title race 110% yes um that so interestingly enough this year the top 3 teams qualify for the champions league and we always thought oh you know out of the big 3 only two would go now all three can go but then united like you know they're like we're on top so one of you are going to miss out so i really feel united are going to qualify for the champions league even if they don't win the wsl so one big team is going to miss out on champions league qualification but i again manchester united along with chelsea are the only two unbeaten teams in wsl they're halfway through so um united um i think it's going to come down to the chelsea united tie that's um at the end of jan this year which is going to be one to watch for anyone listening check that out whenever that is and um you know what's in the future i think it's really bright i think you know the, um, if they qualify for the champions league we could pr- potentially see the americans stick around to play the champions league next year so that's exciting obviously 
um investment is growing in the club and the fact that there's more competition within the league forces other teams to up their up their team list or you know up their investment because that's the only way they're going to compete with the united or the big four now so um yeah it's it's re- essentially a race between the top four which is exciting to see it's not going to be like a one sided game anymore so i'm i'm still you know i still want chelsea to win the title but i won't be sad if united take it <laughs> All right yeah I I know the Chelsea United thing was on my list to cover I thought it was 17th December I actually was planning to get guests on and then I realized someone mentioned that it was only next year so I was like yeah okay so yeah that that's definitely one on the list and another mention I know we don't have too much to talk about it is uh the too much time rather to talk about it, is the rotation and the turnover of women in teams like you mentioned they might stick around to play the champions league and that's one thing i noticed a lot with women uh, women teams and the women league is that players just keep trying to move from one club to the other i, I know at liverpool also we had some of the good players i i, I don't know who was there at one point of somebody really good from england was there and then they moved and you know pe- yeah. people keep changing and then fortunes of clubs also keep changing so it's something mm-hmm. that you know they need to probably yeah i mean hopefully figure out because stability is also like also we spoke with tane about ac milan and all that stability is something that you know every club needs if they want to compete week in week out uh, and for trophies on a regular basis so uh but yeah that that's something that when you mentioned it kind of struck me that yeah it is it's a very key characteristic of the women's league uh overall like people just moving from one club to the other Yeah the 2020 my best player was um, Lucy Bronze and she was at Liverpool earlier on and she you know yeah. left for the better opportunity from at Man City and then at Lyon so you're right that uh, there's a lot of movement and hopefully better salaries and um, more win streaks can help them settle down at clubs yeah then uh, go ahead yes uh, pradeep again uh, it would be very unfair of me to mention milan's renaissance and or not mention that the along with the men's team which sits atop uh, the serie a at the moment the milan women's team is also second having won 8 out of 9 matches this season so just wanted to add that as well uh, yeah. that it's I mean, a complete yeah. transformation not just at the men's end awesome yeah i mean and also to add on uh, yeah. if i can yeah sure, i sure. understand that uh, stability for a team would be important it and it of course is but you also have to consider the fact that a uh, there aren't a lot of teams and in general at all and the players if they want to maximize it is essentially the same argument that the men's game has except there are more options where people can transfer to a better team quote and quote to win trophies in this case it just so happens that there are only a few teams that are going to win trophies and if you are a good player you would want to again you would want to move to a better team to win those trophies because i've seen a lot of these memes online where uh, I I'm pretty sure it's the same player who's playing for like three different teams and people say yo oh, you're not so loyal. Of course she's not going to stay loyal. She wants to win trophies and considering the fact that there aren't there isn't going to be a lot of eyeballs anyway on these trophies, it would be better for her to move quickly to win those trophies to achieve her goals. So you I, I'm just saying that there is structural change that is also needed across every league in Europe and over the world of course but also especially in Europe. to ensure such set stability because like you said even the liverpool side just disintegrated and this yeah. is liverpool we're talking about if they cannot support their women's side and the imagine the state of the players who were playing in that team do you expect them to stay loyal even though the team literally said you know you can get relegated we're not going to play you 
so there is a bit of yin and yang there yeah that's a that's a great point that you brought it up because i wanted to give the example of like lucy bronze for example or alex greenwood who have played for liverpool everton united city you know so um if you if you if a men's player does that they're like you know completely disloyal and but the fact is that all these men's clubs are like sort of at similar platforms so so they have established a, a sort of a big foundation but for the women it's almost like a stepping stone because liverpool is so down the ranks that if you get better you're going to move up to everton and if you get better than that you're going to go up to united and then to city and then you know go play in the champions league so you're really right that there has to be a structural change where all the clubs sort of come at par and that's when you're going to have a little more stability and a little more like loyalty i don't want to say loyalty but you'll just have people sticking around longer cuz you're treating them well yeah awesome all right thanks rather for providing your opinions on the manchester united women's team and the wsl as well <laughs> uh and now we move on finally to our last segment of this evening and that is siddharth so siddharth we're talking arsenal last because it's not a happy st- story uh i mean ob- okay if i done this for no. weeks ago two if exactly. i just if i done this two weeks ago it would definitely not been a happy story but <laughs> last two weeks have somewhat you know you come clawed your way back to relative mediocrity um so Ooh, that hurt <laughs> uh i mean you can take it you've been a national fan for 5 years the last 5 years we've had much worse exactly so okay where's it all gone wrong for arsenal especially given arteta won the fa cup with arsenal beating chelsea and the community shield i'm not going to count that i'm not going to count that i'm not going to count that yes charity <laughs> match okay uh, yeah but anyway I, yeah. but it's you no know, but for for Mora- uh, for a uh, uh Uh, what's for a new manager to no, come no, but, into a new side but even for players for morale boosting mm-hmm. thing even if it's a community even if for charity it's still a match against liverpool that you won so it's still mm-hmm. a boost right so, uh, but then things have quickly turned sour for everyone so how has that happened uh so where do we begin again at the uh, <laughs> when you when you ask for surprises of 2020 uh i threw in arsenal there because it us winning the fa cup itself was a surprise let's be honest we were not the best team there we were not even the best team in the semi finals we were able to produce something where we were the underdog against a very good chelsea side and an even better city side so when arteta came in we all expected uh, again before arteta we had unai emery who while he he was at arsenal he was absolutely ridiculed i would say a bit rightly so but considering the fact that he is doing spectacularly well at villarreal now we seem like the fools here so after getting rid of emery we got arteta who brought what i think is still missing from the side but for the short period of time of the manager bounce that he had he brought stability to this side we had i would uh, i would say the better of the two goalkeepers in emiliano martinez when he was there and a back three which had david luiz let's not laugh here this is still david luiz who and the one at, least, <laughs> at the end of, no let, Mm, that's the story yeah, of Arsenal. Yeah, but, nah. That's the story of Arsenal, man. Yeah. So at, at least at the end of last season, he seemed to be, at the very least, competent, which is what Arsenal is going for these days. We had David Luiz, we had Dani Ceballos, who was actually playing really well at the end of last year, and an Aubameyang who was properly motivated and who was banging in the goals. And that was the start. That was the case even at the start of the season. It wasn't like we had a terrible start to the season either. But what i feel has been happening through towards the end towards the recent parts of this season has been uh again terrible defense 
the spectacular failure that is Villian. Villian coming on a free and we still got a bad deal on it. How is that possible? Anyway, Villian <laughs> is here. And then Aubameyang, after he signed that thing, hasn't that been thing. doing a thing. Yeah, has not. Uh, and, and then you have the again, 350,000 pound German player uh, sitting on the... The German yeah. professional tweet bot machine who is Mesut Ozil. And again, yeah. I do not have a problem with Mesut Ozil. He is a, spec- he is a generational talent. And it is actually sad to see the state that he's been reduced to. But we also cannot just forget now that he wasn't performing that well when he was benched. Uh, after Alexis Sanchez left, which is another sad story, not, now, not for now, after Alexis left, uh, Ozil refused to work. And if we, in a game which needs 11 players, we need 11 players to follow every damn thing, even if that means coming back to defend. Let's okay. Ozil is this that, and now everyone's like, let's bring Ozil back in. We no, no, he does not fit into this system that Arteta is trying to play. Even in this system, we have a liability that is our former club captain called Grant Shaka. Mm. Grant Shaka <laughs> is so frustrating because even a couple of uh, two games back, he scored a spectacular free kick. Yeah. But the game, two games before that, he got a stupid red card. What do we, what do we do with him, dude? Just, I have I'm at a loss here. <laughs> <sighs> but, uh, but okay, so I, I know there, there are, there are definitely key crucial factors that have, you know, contributed to all of this. But it, okay, how, how much does this boil down to tactical? Because the one thing that Arsenal were always ridiculed for was the fact that their defense couldn't do shit. Okay, their attack was, their attacking play was so fluid at times. It was brilliant to watch. Last season, even end of last season, they they beat the likes of City, they beat the likes of Liverpool with brilliant tactics and amazing fluid play. Aubameyang obviously being the key focal point of that of that attack. Mm -hmm. Then he he's surprising. He he has worked on defense. Arteta has worked on the defense and has to a certain degree, kind of stopped the goals from coming in, but at the same time has completely annihilated your attacking prowess. How has that happened? I think that is the sign of an inexperienced manager. Uh, and also a team that is in flux. So we cannot put all the blame on Arteta. He's trying to uh, plug the holes in the ship as and when he's seeing them. There are just too many holes. So him tightening up the defense last year and having Aubameyang in the form of his life with supply also going to him. Uh, again, Dani Sabayos and uh, the youngster Saka have been brilliant. Brilliant in the system that Arteta has been making the play in. And the defense was solid. Right now, our problem is, our best defender is David Luiz. Followed by um, Rob Holding. Rob Holding is an okay I'm, defender I'm sure, at best. I'm sure Gabriel is up there. Oh, if, oh yeah. Completely agree. Gabriel is actually one of... Okay, I agree. But Gabriel, I feel like he needs a senior presence. And unfortunately, exactly. just yeah. because this is his first year in the Premier League and he is naturally still a youngster. So it would have helped if he had a senior presence, which David Luiz can definitely be. And I'm not blaming David Luiz completely. That is his game. He produces worldies at times and he also is David Luiz at times. We can't help it. And again, this would, I think, be helped if A, our midfield was a bit more fluent. 
even in the last game that we won against uh, who did we last play uh, brighton in brighton, brighton at brighton yeah. when we were supposedly uh, on a momentum after winning our last game the first half was terrible and all we did was pass the ball sideways with no movement in front it was again i i want to blame arteta it is such an easy thing to blame arteta and get rid of him and get someone else in i don't think that would help a because like you said there needs to be some form of stability in the side and i think arteta is a good manager i haven't seen anything from him that would make that would like disqualify him he is doing the best he can with what he has but the problem is what he has is not much yeah i mean yeah i i i can't like every time you people say arteta out yeah it is easy and the manager is always going to face the brunt of every loss that he he uh incurs or when he faces whatever so that is definitely an easy you know way to and he's not really it. helping himself either when he says things like yeah we're putting 50 crosses in it's bound to go in no that's not how football works yeah yeah i, I and that that stat uh conference that he press conference that he had was again i mean some certain things that he does i'm sure it's frustrating as a manager to know that the players that you're that you're putting out there like aren't good enough because one of the key issues that ha- has happened of late is the disciplinary issues i mean pepe headbutting someone granajaka uh gabriel all of them have got red cards in the space of like one or two months you actually had more red cards than goals or wins in december we also had more foul throws than goal the way goals man <laughs> i mean yeah so i mean it this disciplinary thing you think that someone who's worked under a manager like pep guardiola would and some may argue was also a reason why manchester city manchester city were very dominant because him and guardiola made a formidable pair and once he left i mean obviously city had a slight downfall so you would think that someone of that stature would know or would kind of train his players to not do make silly mistakes like this so which kind of shows that you can be a great manager but at the end of the day the players that you have with you are literally worth yeah and you, even if you are a good football manager you still need to be a good man manager i i think yeah. those are two very different things and i like and i think uh, someone who is uh, amazing at it would be jorgen klopp i have to give him credit for that because even now when people are uh, essentially uh, meaning firmino out of this world he still defends him because i agree that firmino is a very good player if you need a manager who is going to a support you when you're not doing the best but also tell you that you're not doing well so i'm going to bench you uh, and i think that is starting to again this is arteta who has been hired mainly because he was pep's assistant and he was an arsenal legend i think the word legend gets thrown around easily but anyway yeah <laughs> those are his only two qualifications of which one is an actually good qualification in that he was working with pep but he was still an assistant manager with pep and i think he is uh, growing into the role of being a manager didn't he also just get his role changed he he isn't coach yeah, from, anymore or he's coach to man- manager or something like that yeah, yeah. but either uh, way, but even if it's the other way around see i, I had i yeah. i said this about i mean, i said this even in the previous uh, podcast episode in the a different series pep i'm mean, sorry arteta frank lampard and ole these are the three managers that i've never figured out what is wrong every time i think i figure them out they do a complete u turn and they go from good to bad or bad to good okay it's like every single time completely agree yeah it, it is slightly 
you know, frustrating. I'm sure definitely frustrating as you, as a, see, Aubameyang, people are saying, should score more. I, I get that, but he's been carrying Arsenal for the past two seasons. He needs a break at some point or the other. And I, I like you mentioned that, you know, it takes a real man manager or someone to kind of say, hey, you know, you're not in the best of form. I'm going to rest you. But then, you know, get, you know, get, take some time off and then I'll get you back on and then you can start doing what you did for the past two seasons. But again, it's like your recruitment so shit that... Exactly. You, if you can only, as a manager, do that with confidence, if you know that someone else can, if not replace exactly. him, at least do a competent job. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the same thing. I think, like, Firmino wouldn't have, wouldn't have had the rest if Diego Jota had not come onto the scene and burst onto the scene the way he has at Liverpool. So, yeah, it definitely... But again, down to recruiting and... I think one of the key aspects of that recruitment was the fact that you had that super agent involved for majority of your transfer window this mm-hmm. season, uh, Kia Jurapchan. And I had that entire podcast about that. So, yeah, I think things structurally itself at Arsenal need to change. I know many people have been calling out for Kronke. Sure, some people were happy the fact that he actually put, put in some money over the past two years. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't know. So, where do you kind of see now? Arsenal go go on from here. Honestly, I don't have a lot of hope. I, again, I'm not saying we're going to get relegated. That is just absurd. <laughs> not because we are good enough, but we have three other shittier teams than us. That is the only exactly, yeah. confidence I have. Yeah, but that, that's what and the yeah conversation. No, no, I'm saying that's what when everyone says Arsenal can get relegated, I keep looking at the tables like they can't because as even as bad as Arsenal are, they can still get a draw. Whereas the other teams like Sheffield United or West Bromwich, someone like that, those those guys. You know, you can't sustain it over a long period of time. And yeah, even though like uh, like before in the conversation when Tane said that we could be looking to get into the Champions League through the Europa League. And Tane said that AC Milan might not prioritize the Europa League because they want to concentrate on domestic competitions. We probably will do the same thing only because we just don't have the squad to do it. At this point, uh, if we want to, if we're already, we've already been knocked out of the League Cup, so that's done. Uh, so we have the FA Cup, which we're trying to quote unquote defend, but we'll get to that when we get to it. I don't see how Arteta can with this squad, and which is again an, an indictment of the recruitment because the Europa League, considering despite everything that has happened this season, Arsenal is still a pedigree club that is supposed to, at the very least, compete in the Europa League. The fact that Arsenal fans like myself are thinking, let's just let's just leave that now. Let's just focus on getting up to the league. And we'll go from there. That is the thinking of sides like, with no disrespect at all, uh, West Brom, Newcastle, who are conventionally mid-table sides right now. And to be fair, that is what Arsenal is now. And we have to be honest about it. It's only when we know and accept that there is a problem, we can go ahead. Uh, Siddharth, may I I quickly piggyback off uh, Pradyum's question here? I have a question for you. Uh, Again, going back to what I was saying about Milan as well. So behind the strong squad is a... Uh, is a strong club and uh, the last recognized um, let's say senior manager uh, I mean I don't know what the executive title was uh, along with manager a duo mm-hmm. at Arsenal was Gadidi, uh, Gazidis, Gazidis, uh, who is yeah. now at Milan and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and Wenger so uh, again I mean I know Gazidis was much maligned at the end of his tenure at Arsenal uh, to be very fair he was Maligned at the beginning of his tenure at Milan as well, although that's changing. But uh, since then, uh, we have seen that 
he hasn't adequately been replaced so so you had vinay venkatesham and uh, rahul saneli uh, join i mean take up positions being promoted uh, mm-hmm. from within the club and then one of them uh, was asked to leave the club now you have edu gaspar who again is a club mm-hmm. uh, i mean quote unquote legend, quote legend. Uh, yeah who's back at the club uh, as your sporting director uh, but don't you think at some point a club of arsenal stature uh, needs experienced people in those roles i mean it, it just cannot be hit and trial all the time i completely agree and that is evident in the recruitment that arsenal has been doing that we desperately need an experienced head uh, both in the organization of the club as a whole and who is in charge of football operations and again edu i do not know what he what qualifications he has to have come into this role uh, like i said it would help at the very least it would see uh, even though gazedes was maligned he was a name who could attract people or who could at the very least make those deals for people like ozil to come to the club or like alexis sanchez of course arsenal was a slightly better side then for to attract those names even and you then you had a manager wenger i mean yes obviously of course we did and we were also in the champions league we were finishing fourth yeah. we were get, we were not getting a trophy for fourth and we were going being in the champions league and despite the fact that arsenal as a club in their performance has lost that luster they are still arsenal football club they are side in london playing in the english premier league who should have like you said a not just a competent but an actually experienced man who can make those deals to help the player to to help the team to get those players to perform well i see uh, do i see that changing anytime soon i honestly don't does that fill me with hope obviously not but at what i can hope for right now is to get to the end of the season and hopefully hopefully the owners to see that this side is not is underperforming just because the side, there are sides that quote unquote underperform in the league but are still profitable to the owners i do not think that arsenal can be that club we were desperate to win the fa cup so that we can get the money from being in the europa league we were desperate for that money if we don't do that this season i think that will uh, ring warning bells at the higher levels of this management maybe in the at cronkis level for him to actually take notice like you said he has been which putting you might, which which you which you think would be actually a good thing in a way because you yeah. i mean you yeah, because you need him to take notice the, that that's that's the main thing i mean i know yeah this it's all fine good you want a director of football and the same thing is happening at manchester united but it's the it, the problems with the the top most people and those if they aren't incompetent there's no way your the ones below them are going to be any more competent or any better so uh but yeah i okay guys uh i think i'm going to call it a time for today uh but unless sidat you have any other final words on this uh on arsenal and where they are otherwise this is an amazing discussion and this is the discussion for arsenal fans to have and i just hope that we are if not successful just good to watch i have more fun watching yeah. leeds lose 6-0 than watch arsenal right now which is sad exactly at even i as a new as a liverpool fan even I, fine I, i mean i used to love watching arsenal play even if they win even if they lose uh, i used to love watching them play just because of the style of football the fluidity the attacking prowess everything it was just fun to watch 
you would leak in mm-hmm. goals you would score goals it was so much fun right now i i struggle to watch I, every time i watch an arsenal game or even if it was i think the arsenal chelsea game i was nearly dozing off at some point because <laughs> it it was like i i don't know both teams also get, and it was a little late as well so but yeah at 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 times it's just it's just a pain to watch but yeah uh, so in the short term all i can hope for is some good football and in the long term maybe some structural changes but let's not focus on that now awesome all right guys uh siddharth uh frankie radha tane thank you all for being a part of this podcast it was a pleasure having you on here and here listening to your opinions and thoughts about your clubs and you know why, why they were the surprises of the 2020 21 season so far so far uh so thank you all for that and yeah i can't wait to host you either for this on a similar podcast episode or you know we do weekday match reviews or weekend match reviews on the mws series which is the shorter version so we'd love to have you on that as well in the near future so thanks thanks guys thanks again buddy cheers bye bye thanks pradyum awesome yeah, man thanks for having us i'll go watch us get squashed by big sam now <laughs> yeah awesome so thanks everyone and thank you for those of you listening to this particular episode uh like i said at the start of this episode if you do like the football content that we are putting out then head on head over to the previous episodes they are as insightful as this one is and if you like if you want something a little more fun a little more chaotic then head over to the mws series which happens every wednesday um and yeah i guess if yeah i, I to add and to that sorry man just a, just a last thank you to radha because i had no i had very little knowledge about the w, wsl and this conversation has actually made me want more interested in it so thank you especially for radha for that no worries yeah. at all yeah and i'm going to do a shout out here as well so if you do want to listen to more of the women's football stuff head over to radha's channel which is she talk ball you said me i got that right yeah it's she talks ball she talks ball okay perfect Yeah head over there and yeah you get everything related to indian women's sports or not indian women's sports, women's in sports i keep getting confused yeah women's in sports so head over there and yeah you'll definitely learn a thing or two uh yeah and talking about the ffs podcast if you do like the content that we're putting out please do also rate us uh, like us you can re- put in a review if you can uh, on one of the seven or many different podcast platforms that we are on like spotify apple podcast google podcast amazon pandora you name it we're probably there uh, you can also let us know if you want to be a part of this podcast as well i'd love to host you and to do that you can just either follow us on instagram or on twitter or send me a message uh, on those two social media platforms and i'll definitely find a way to get you onto the podcast uh i'm sure there'll be a time or so where we definitely are going to be talking about your club so i guess that's about it for episode number 14 of the ffs podcast i'm your host pradi once again you stay safe and see you